Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Message. We're going to Exodus chapter 18. We skipped this last week. Last week we went 1920. So Exodus 18. And if you are new to the series or new to our church, we've been rolling through Exodus uh, this summer. And just to kind of bring everybody up to speed, um, it, the whole thing starts with the people of God who are oppressed and enslaved and they cry out. God hears them, sends a deliverer in Moses. He comes up on the scene and then God uses 10 plagues to get uh, Pharaoh's attention and really deliver his people. They get delivered in one night. Passover, we hit that. And, uh, and then their backs are up against the wall. They're kind of, there's the sea and there's nowhere to go. And the Egyptians are in pursuit of them. And then God separates the sea and they walk across. They worship, they throw a party. God ends up throwing the horse and the rider into the sea. And so all the Egyptian army is wiped out while the people of God are rescued. And then uh, three days later, they start complaining, though, because they don't have any provisions. And so God miraculously provides manna and quail and, hey, we're thirsty, too. Cool. Tap that rock with that stick. Boom. You got water. And that's that's kind of where we're at as we head into chapter 18. So um, right before what we're going to hit today, they there's a battle and uh, neighboring neighboring army, neighboring military. They go to war with them. And Moses uh, holds up his arms because God says, Hey, take your rod, take your staff, hold it up. And when you're holding it up, uh, I'll fight the battle for you. But he gets tired of holding his arms up. And this is a great precursor for the passage we're going to hit today. He gets tired of holding his arms up. And so Aaron and her come and they just hold his, they prop his arms up. And so they win the battle with the brother, just like, I'm so tired, but he's, just, but this is what has, how they win the battle was, uh, with people around him on either side, helping him do what he can't do in his own power. And then they win the battle. And then uh, right after that, Jethro, great name, uh, Moses' father-in-law, shows up on the scene. And he comes with Zipporah. He comes with Moses' wife and their kids. Because, you know, a lot of stuff has been popping off up to this point. So Moses was like, why don't you take the kids to, to the in-laws? Why don't you take the kids to your parents and then just hang out? And then when we get in the wilderness, you come and meet us. So Jethro comes and meets Moses with his family in the wilderness. And when he shows up, uh, he looks and Moses is leading a couple million people, but like by himself. And this is the exchange that we get. I love it. He says this verse 13 of chapter 18. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? And I, I love it because um, when I, I, this is the first time I've ever read this whenever I was preparing for today, but the line for the people. And it's reminding me that, man, Moses's heart and his motivation and his intentions were so pure. Like he was trying to do a thing for the people. He's leading for the people. He's trying everything he's doing. He's like, this is not for me. Like my heart, and my motivations are pure, but you can be well-intentioned and not do things well. Right. You can, you can have, you can have pure heart. You can want to do a thing like your, why can be really good, but your, how be garbage. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember back, y'all remember a few years ago, uh, when it was Popeye's chicken sandwich versus Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Y'all remember that? Everybody's like, which one's the best one? You remember that? And uh, Popeye's chicken sandwiches was so good, by the way. 
But here's my experience with that. I would go to Popeye's and uh, I pulled up, first time I pulled up, I was like, hey, hit me with that chicken sandwich, that famous chicken sandwich. They were like, we're out of chicken. And I was like, bro, you do one thing. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, I was like, okay. I go the next time, hit me with that chicken sandwich. If you're pulling that parking spot up there in about 45 minutes, we will bring you this chicken sandwich. You know what I mean? And so it didn't take very long at all for me to be like, you know what? I'm good. Chick-fil-A. Hit me with that Chick-fil-A. Why? Because the system, I can pull up and it's my pleasure and I will give you 45 sauces to go with your meal and I will smile at you and I will do it in 2.3 minutes. You know what I mean? Like I, I, it, it's just a system thing. And so the why for both of them is the same and the how for Chick-fil-A is superior in Jesus name. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Yes. Jesus. Don't come at me with, the, with Papa. I like Papa's, but I'm just saying. So the idea is um, what Moses is doing, pure of heart, also really dumb. And so Jethro's like, I love this passage because it's very, it's just, it's great application for the way that we lead and serve others. And so, um, you know, people who say, don't work, don't work harder, work smarter. You know that? Uh, and but you know how, and this is my experience, usually they're like really lazy, the people who say they're really lazy. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're always the ones like, don't work harder, work smarter. It's like, but you're lazy. That's why you say that. But, but it's just do both. Do both. And rock people's world. Like just do, be after it, be missional, be excited to do a thing. But also, uh, as you do it, be, be discerning, be wise. Jesus, I love it because Jesus, when he commissions his disciples, he says, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to reach people. I want you to be as innocent as doves as you do it. Be pure of heart. Make your motivation the right thing. Make it about people, but also be shrewd as serpents. Don't be dumb. It's such great advice. It's like, yeah, do a thing with excellence. Like do a thing in a way that actually will impact other people. Um, I grew up in a church, it reminds me of the church that I grew up in. I grew up in a, y'all hear me talk about this church all the time. Grew up in a small uh, rural church in, in eastern North Carolina and loved my church experience. But I grew up in a culture, many of you did as well, where the pastor did like all the things, right? Y'all remember that back in the day? And my uncle was my pastor. I did not know a more faithful man of God. I didn't know a more faithful man. I also didn't know anybody who was as tired as that brother. He was just tired all the time. He just looked tired. And uh, it's because he did Sunday school and was over Christian education ministries. And then he did a message on Sunday morning. And then somebody invited him for lunch and he felt obligated. You know, he always had to go to the lunch thing. And then that night he had a different message for Sunday night. You couldn't preach the same one you preached on Sunday morning. Lord had to give you a different word for Sunday night. You'd, you'd come for Sunday night. It was kind of not good because you put all your energy into Sunday morning. And then Wednesday night, different word. You had a different message for Wednesday night. And then you had whatever little Boy Scout group that you had to oversee. And he was in the choir and he was doing all the things to the point that he was cutting the grass. It was about 10 acres of grass. He'd be out there cutting the grass because it's good stewardship and it saves the church money, except it's dumb. Again, I don't know of a more faithful man, but it's like, cause somebody help a brother, like, cause someone pick something up and do something. He didn't own a landscaping. There was people in the church who had landscaping businesses. I'm like, what are you doing? What is happening? This is, but this is the model that we see in, this is all the way back in Exodus. This is a thing. Jethro shows up and he's like, bro, what is wrong with you? There's like a couple million people here and you're doing this by yourself. This is crazy. Look at this in verses 14 through 16. Why do you sit alone as a judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, 
Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And so this is what happens when you have one guy doing a thing. It tells us in the verse, why do you sit alone? Calling all the shots, doing all the things. While people stand around from morning until evening. You have one guy doing a thing. What is everyone else doing? All too many of them. They're just standing there. Watching the one guy do the thing, waiting on the one guy to have, and it's a ridiculous model. So the idea is if you want to have a great impact, you can't do it alone. Anything that God calls us to do that is worth your time, energy, of value, eternally, is always going to be outside of yourself. It's going to be bigger, and you're not going to be able to do it in isolation. You can't do it alone. So uh, it will require other people joining you to make a difference. Real impact is done in the context of a team. If you want a championship, you play team ball. Sports metaphors all day, I got them, right? If you, if you want to have great stats and you want to be the great, you know, this incredible player, uh, but n- maybe not win the ring, and you're more focused on your numbers or more focused on playing time or more focused about you than you are on winning the thing, you don't play team ball. But great championship teams play team ball. If you want to ring it, you play team ball. That's what you do. And so the same thing is true when it comes to our, our impact on other people. Same thing's true really for us spiritually. And the call that God has on our lives as the church is that it's supposed to be a team sport. It's not one guy or even a handful of people doing the thing while everybody else is like, cool, good job. Like it's all of us doing the thing. Great commission is for every believer. Priesthood of the believers. If you're in Christ, great commandment. You got to love God and love people and then make disciples. That's our job. If you're a Jesus follower, not if you're a pastor, not if you're a professional Christian, not if you wrote a book, not if you are on TV, not if like if you were a follower of Jesus, that's our job is to go. How can I do that where I'm at? I'm on the birthing wing. I'm a nurse. How can I make disciples where I'm at? I'm in the classroom. I'm a teacher. How can I make disciples where I'm at? I'm a business leader. I own a business. I'm an entrepreneur. I work landscaping. I'm in maintenance. I'm whatever. You can put purpose and you can put the Great Commission wherever you are. You don't have to quit your job, move, or do anything different. You just have to look up and go, God, lead me and help me to see opportunities to serve people and share your message and share the hope of salvation right where I'm at. And so I want to remind us that that's our call as Jesus followers. We have a call on our lives. And at Soma, it's not about the talents of the few, but the sacrifices of the many. The whole vision of our church is that we would be a body of believers. So if you're new to our church family, Soma, you're like, what does that mean? Is this a cult? No, it's just a Greek word for the body. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read that in a minute. But all these other places, he just says, hey, it's kind of like a body. The church is meant to be a body, and all of you are different parts of the body. You all have a function that is different from the other people in the body. And collectively, you're a part of this whole. You're a part of this one thing that's supposed to operate together, make an impact together. Don't just stand alone in isolation. Do things with others. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, Paul says this, just as a body, Soma. The one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you're part of the body. And what the landscape looks like today uh, in the church is there's a percentage of the body that's working. And then there's a much larger percentage of the body that is watching the people that are doing the thing 
it's, they're not functioning like the part of the body that they were created to be. It's kind of like if you were walking around and one of your eyes worked, but the other eye did not work. You had one nostril work, the other one did not work. You had one ear work, the other one didn't work, or maybe both of them were out, right? And you just had one, you had one leg working and then you didn't have the other leg working. You had one arm working and you didn't have the other arm working. And that's the image that we have in the local church today. And we wonder why people don't get energized, excited. We wonder why revival's not happening. It's because like 20% of the people are doing 100% of the work. And here's my thing. Uh, God, has, God has to give you a vision to do it. I can't sell you on it. No preacher has ever been able to sell, no pastor has ever been able to sell people to lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel. It is a God thing. He has to save you, redeem you. He has to make you surrender your life. You have to see Jesus and go, ooh, it is worth all of it. And just go all in. Every revival, every great awakening, what happens is there's a percentage of the people who are doing a thing and now all of a sudden God breathes on the thing and now everybody's like, yo, and, and the participation goes way up or people who don't want to participate are like, this is weird. I'm out. Right. So that's what happens. Every great revival, every great awakening. But the idea is like collectively what we can do together as a team, together as the body is so much greater than what any one of us can do in isolation. Nobody has ever done anything worth anything by themselves. It always takes others joining in that vision, joining in the call in their lives. And so the church is made up of din- many different types of gifts. And, uh, and you guys are passionate about specific things. You're gifted and graced at specific things. How many of y'all love, you love spreadsheets. You love zero inbox. You love checking your tasks. You're afraid to raise your hand because you're just so you're, but like administrators, you know what I'm talking about? Not your boy. Okay. So it's like, I don't, not, not my jam. Uh, like we have a thing called planning center, a database. We run everything as a church off of, I have no idea, no idea about the planning center, no idea. And Amanda and Andrew and Ashley and whoever's in here said, amen. Right. So it's like our whole team are like, he clearly has no idea about the database and the planning center, but that's okay. It's not my gift. It's not my thing. And I'm not trying to excuse away, not learning in that area. It's just never going to be my strength. It's never going to be a strength. Some of you love to pray. You are prayer warriors. You pray about everything. I had a guy at the church uh, that I was a part of before we were here, and he prayed. Every time you saw him, he prayed for you. It used to be, a, it used to be like a, we used to play a game. We're like, hey, can we go, go up, see if you can go up to Larry without him praying for you? Like, every, every, like see what kind of con- – how can you navigate this conversation in a way that he forgets to pray for Every single time he would pray for you, always, because prayer was his gift. And he just said, this is, this is in me, this is on me. And then God would answer his prayers. And it's just like, you want that guy to pray for you, right? It's the guy you want to pray for you. My mom's that way. She prays about everything. So what are your gifts? Some of you is teaching. Some of you is knowledge. Some of you it's helps. Thank you, God, for the gift of helps. People who just sit around and they go, I don't really want to call the shots. I just want to come alongside and do a thing. Tell me what to do. And we're like people who have that gift are like, my gift is help. That, that gift is the gift that gets everything done. That is the gift that like does all the things in church world. And so the idea is what is my gift? How did God equip me? What did he put on me? What have I been affirmed in? Like, what are the things I'm passionate about and how can I leverage those things to help advance his cause and his kingdom? One last thing on this, you have people in your life that you can reach and serve in a way that nobody else can, including the person sitting next to you. So back to Great Commission. Your call is to make disciples. And you're like, I got to go across the world to do that. No, you have to walk across the room to do that. You have to walk across the street to do that. 
you have to lean over to your friend in the locker room or in the classroom to do that. You don't, like, it's not, you don't have to go anywhere. You just have to look up and then figure out how can I leverage what God's doing in my life to serve other people? And how can I push back on fear of man? Because we all have it. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm dumb. And then just pray. Pray first. God, give me, a, like, ripen their heart. Create an opportunity. Create a vehicle. There's a moment where they're struggling with something. They're like, hey, here's what, here's what happens with me. Here's, like, my life and what God's done in my life. And everybody needs that moment, that opportunity to share your faith with others and to see somebody moved by your faith. And, and this is what God's calling us to do, to be a, something, be, be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Look at verses 17 and 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you were doing is not good. It's dumb, Mo. Stop doing that. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. You are standing like a big dummy with two million people around. Everybody's waiting a turn to come and talk to you about the decrees and the instructions. And, hey, we have this dispute. I don't know what your family's like. If you have stuff at your family, you do. I know what it's like. Uh, but so it's like conflict and drama and, like, like, stuff, right? Just in your own little family. Imagine two million people out in the wilderness who are dependent on God for provisions daily. It's like, imagine the amount of conflict and the amount of drama, the amount of things to navigate. This is a, this is a people that are hard-headed. Like, the reason why God's feeding them daily is because they don't get it. And so Moses is trying to navigate all that, and Jethro goes, hey, this is too heavy. It's too heavy. Um, how many of you, you have moved houses in the past couple years? Like, you've moved from one location to another. It is the worst. Amen? It is the worst, right? How many of you, uh, have you had that moment where, because I have, where we did not plan for it, wasn't planned great, you know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, we'll just do it. We'll just do it. Like a few years ago, we moved to Hickory like nine years ago. Uh, it was me and Brooke, and, and I did not plan for it. I borrowed a 26-foot box truck. We had four kids at the time. My goodness. With four, like... And their grandparents loved them. So they had all the, the junk, like a couple thousand square foot of space with four kids and all the stuff. And I'm like, we got this. We got, we got this. I'm a moron. And I was like, we're, and we had one couple come. They just felt bad. They came and helped us. And they were like, y'all probably need some help. And I was like, no, we're good. We got this. They still haven't talked to us to this day. That couple, and I'm just messing with you. They're great. But, but they helped, like, it was a grind. We loaded that truck. And the whole time I'm like, you're an idiot. Like I'm, cause I knew people. I knew people that would have like, would have come and would have helped me. I didn't ask for it. And I thought I can do this on my own. Wore myself out. About, about lost my marriage. You know what I mean? Like we, like we got here and she was like, you know, I'm, I'm about to either kill you or like, I'm not going to divorce you, but I'm going to kill you. That's what's going to happen. So, um, so we, but then now juxtapose that with last year, we moved again and we had people, uh, somebody got box trucks lined up for us. And then somebody helped un, uh, like undo beds. And then someone ordered food. And then somebody else came and helped with boxing up the kitchen. And somebody else came. I mean, everybody had a role. We had guys on the truck who were just so good at packing a truck. They, that sucker was like Tetris. They had every cubic inch of like square foot on that truck was just slammed full of stuff. And, and, uh, and I couldn't do that. And, but it was like 30, 40 people that helped us move out of the old house and then another 30, 40 people who helped us move into the new house. And it was like, this is much better than what we did eight years ago. Right? It's like anything you've ever done worth doing, 
Uh, anything that you've ever done that has a, a significant impact on other people, it is so much more fun to do it in the context of a team. And it makes a lighter lift. Heavy things get lighter when you add more hands to it. And so, um, and that's what he's trying to teach us in this passage. And Jethro says, hey, this thing is too heavy for you. You're trying to lead these people. There's too many of them. You can't do it. Look at verse 19. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representation before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and their instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. And he says, hey, you do actually have a job in all this. I want you to empower people. I want you to ask people for help. But here's your role. I want you to tell people. I want you to make it clear what's supposed to happen. I want you to give instruction. You have to make the vision clear, Moses. That's your job. That's your job. When he says, Teach them decrees and instructions. Show them the way that they're to live and how they're to behave. You need a clear vision so that as you break up span of care and you give other people ownership, they know what we're doing. What's the goal? What are we doing? There's too many of us. What are we doing? He's like, make that vision clear so that as you scale it and you hand away things, people can actually lead other people. And so... I also love this because Jethro says, hey, I'm going to give you advice. Look at this in, in the first 19, verse 19. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. I'm going to give you advice. And then he says, but may God be with you. In other words, I'm going to give you sound instruction. I'm going to give you some wisdom. I'm going to give you some system things. But at the end of the day, God's got to be with you, bro. You got a couple million people. You're going to need the Lord for all this. Okay, so God's got to be with you. And it's just a reminder and when it comes to leading others, really when it comes to following Jesus and just being obedient to live the life that God wants us to live, we have a job to do. Here's some sound instruction on some things that you can do. And then God has a job to do. Hey, changing and transforming people's hearts, making people repent, making people come alive in Christ, making people surrender, making that moment of salvation, even sanctification, that's not on you and me. God has a job to do. You and I have a job to do. You can't do his job. He's not going to do your job. Organize that junk. Bring a system to it. Ask people to help you. But at the end of the day, there's things that only God can do. And so Jethro says, may God be with you. And so um, the crazy thing about this passage is that God actually called Moses to do this. Like he actually called Moses to bring these couple million people out into the wilderness. That's an insane task. And then when they get out there, what God does in this moment, through his father-in-law, he could have done it through all kinds of different ways. Uh, all the father-in-laws in the room are like, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but, but, uh, but he could use any vehicle, but he brings them out into the wilderness, and, and he gives instruction and gives advice to help organize the people of God and, and the Israelites right before he hands them the law. How awesome is that? He's like, you need to get organized, because I'm about to hand you some things that's going to make the vision clear, and then you're going to be able to pass that to one another and be able to lead and organize in a way that you couldn't before. Your impact's going to be greater. And so Moses' whole role is to represent and remind the people of what the decrees and the instructions are. But then Jethro goes on, verse 21, he says this, select capable men from all the people. What's the qualifications? They fear God. They're trustworthy. They hate dishonest gain. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. And so what I see in this passage is that we just need to empower people based on their capacity. So in, in your life, in your span of care, these are things that you and I can apply. 
We can realize that the things that God's asking us to do in our own life is bigger than us. They need to be bigger than you. If you don't have dreams that are bigger than you, vision that God's given you that's bigger than you to accomplish in your own power, they're not big enough. They're not. You need to think about it. God, what do you actually want me to do in my life? And what is a stretch for me that I need you to show up and I'm going to need other people to help me accomplish the thing that you've called me to do? And then... And then we have to make the vision clear. What is the vision? And then we have to empower other people around us to help join us in that. And this is what we do at Soma every single week. And it's not, the great thing about church is that God owns it. Jesus owns it. So whether you're doing it at Soma or First Pres or Corinth or Discovery or Christ Church or wherever you, like what, you pick a lane, doesn't matter where you're at. Pick a lane, stick with it and run the play. Make the vision clear, empower people to be the local church and the priesthood of believers. It's not like a handful of us doing a thing. It's all of us living out the great commission. Who can I serve? Who can I reach? Who can I disciple? Who can I share my faith with? Then our job is to create a vehicle to do that. And so empower people based on their capacity. Empower people based on their capacity. So um, what's so cool about this part of the passage, what I love about it, is it's a reminder that uh, you and your capacity is different from the person sitting next to you. So the thought is, well, that's overwhelming. But some of you are already stewarding a thing. Some of you are stay-at-home moms, and you are crushing it. And, and you're making a greater impact on those two to three, if you're like us, five little people that are going to change, be, be world changers, and, and it matters what you do matters in a big way. And, and your span of care might be that. Your span of care might be you're leading an organization and you've got hundreds of employees. Your span, it just changes depending on who it is. But the idea is everybody has like a different opportunity to steward whatever God puts in your hand. And it may change. Matter of fact, my experience is it evolves. It grows. So as I'm faithful with the 10, God's like, cool, you're ready for 50. Cool, you're ready for 100. Cool, you're ready for 1,000. And it's only when, and this is biblical principles. It's just like if I steward, if I steward well what he hands me, he hands me more. But there's also just a ceiling in leadership. And I think the ceiling is based on our, our willingness to just obey. I really do. I think our ceiling is our own. Not what God wants to do in and through us, but it's just our willingness to surrender our lives and obey and follow him. And so I think our impact can be great. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. And you think, I don't, I don't lead an organization. I don't like, I'm not top brass where I'm at. I'm not. You can make a greater impact by being faithful and obedient to Jesus right where you are than somebody who's in charge who never listens. Like some of the most faithful people I know who's made the greatest impact on my lives were people who were not in charge of an organization, but people who just were faithful to Jesus. And here's how I know that. I stood in line at their wake for five hours and shook hands. That's what I want. I want when I die for people to be like, wow, he impacted me. She impacted me. They impacted me in such a profound way. Like, what, what's, where's our value placed and, and how can we be obedient to what God's called us to do? Our capacity's different. And, and another thing that gets me about this part of the passage is that the people, the people that Moses is like, listen, there's people out there who can help you, Moses. You're trying to do this in your own strength, but there's people out there who can help you. The kids are having a great time. It's all my kids. It's awesome. But the, the, the whole thing is like the, everybody that Moses needed to step up and to help him lead were already there. 
Jethro didn't say, bro, you got to get, you got to start recruiting, man. Like you got to put some job, you got to post some job descriptions on a website. And like, you know, like he didn't say that. He said, he said, you just need to empower people that are here. And they all have different capacity, but all you have is all you need, Moses. You got two million people standing right there. Just empower the people that are God-fearing and trustworthy and hate dishonest gain. Bring people. You, you know who those people are. Moses is the one that really organizes this whole thing. So he, he qualified. Like his gift and, and where he's at, his role in all of this is just to go, you're God-fearing. You're trustworthy. You don't like dishonest gain. He really, this is the bar. And then who meets that bar? And then empower people to do the thing that God's called them to do. And so here's my ask in this season. This is the application. For us as a church, we have more coming than ever before. And we're getting ready, again, with fourth service and just creating more room for more people. People are hungry. I know that because I see you. And some of you I've never seen in my life. I watch you walk in and I pray for you as I come, as you walk in. I watched people walk in this morning. I was like, I have never seen you. And then I'm, and I'm praying for you because I'm like, I don't know your name. I don't know where you came from, but I know what you need. And we all need the same thing. But here's what's cool. As many people are coming to church here on a Sunday, if I drive around just in our region, you know how many people I don't know? Like all of them, majority of them. And they all need the same thing that you need. And so there's no off switch to this thing. And there's no way for us to carry the great commission in isolation. We have to do it in the context of a team. I need you. It's too heavy. If you're here, you consider this church home, it's too heavy for me or a handful of us to carry the thing. You have to go, what does God call me to do? What has he graced me for? What is he equipped? What gifts do I have? What context do I have that I can leverage those things to advance his kingdom? We create vehicles for you to do that. Sundays is a vehicle. Groups is something we're going to talk about a lot in this season. Some of y'all have the gift of hospitality. Some of y'all have led groups. Some of y'all have led Sunday school. Some of y'all have leadership and church experience. You know what it takes in order to disciple people. It is messy to walk alongside of people. Empty your cup. You don't have to know all the answers. But just create space for people to process, pray together, walk alongside them, and just have a ministry of presence. There's so many people that need care in our church. As we grow and as we scale, there's going to be so many people that need care. Who can step up? Who can lead groups? Who can host groups? Who can be what God needs them to be in that space? And then dream team. What are my gifts? How, how's God wired me? How can I serve both on Sunday, but just every day? How did God, how did God wire me to serve other people? And then how can I join God in the renewal of all things? And then looks what, look what happens if you actually do it. If you run the play verses 22 through 23, that will make your load lighter. Moses, if you actually can make the vision clear and get people empowered to do what they know, you already know what God's called you to do. Most of you, you already know. You're like, I know I'm, spo- I know, I know I'm supposed to do that. But I'm. And then if you don't know, we want to help you. We have growth track step one next week. If you've never been to growth track, you've been coming, hanging out, but you don't, you don't know the vision or, or the how or the why or who we are as a church and ways that you can get connected to the life connected to the body. Don't be that appendage that's just hanging out. Don't be that foot that's just over in the corner by itself. Connect, like get, be a part of what God's doing and then come alive and be used uh, to serve other people and grow the kingdom. Um, look what happens when we do it together. He says, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. You'll be able to endure all, that, the, all that's going to come your way if you prepare, you empower people to do what's already in them. They're already, they already need a role. 
God made them and created them to want and desire to lead people. And, and you're just robbing them of that opportunity. And everybody goes home satisfied if you actually run this play. Moses, you're more satisfied. Your leadership is better. People are empowered and equipped to do what they were made to do. And then the people who are under their span of care actually served better than if you just stand there all day and try and meet everybody's needs because you can't do it. And I think this is kind of, this is one of the, one of the things that's wrong with the church today is we have this mentality that there's going to be a group of people that do the thing and I'm going to attend an event Stop it. You are the church. The, the, the church isn't a building. The church is not an event. You are the church. If you're in Christ and you've given your life to him and you've surrendered your life to him, you are the church. Great commandment. Great commission. How can I put it on? God, what do you want me to do? And again, our job, our whole job, is to create vehicles for you to live out what you were already called to do. And then just put purpose on all that God hands you. And so he says, everybody goes home satisfied. Everybody wins when you encourage and empower to do what they, were, that, what they were made to do. And then when you empower people who are capable, people who are God-fearing, trustworthy. And so that might be your next step. Maybe you're in a space where you're just not God-fearing. It's hard to empower you if you don't fear God. It's hard to empower you if you're not trustworthy. It's hard to empower you if you, if you like dishonest gain, if you're somebody who's struggling with being honest. So, again, maybe that's a sole thing for you today is just going, man, i got to work on that. I'm really not somebody who needs to be over other people because just my, my soul is just not in a great place. And so think about that. Everybody wins when we empower the right people to do uh, together what we can't do in isolation. That's our dream and our vision for every area of ministry as a church. This is our dream and mission. This is gonna how we're going to scale and serve more people with the gospel of Jesus is to have you do. People come to churches. Uh, one of the things that we hear in people who lead churches is people come and they're like, yeah, I just want to go deeper. I just want to go deeper. Can we just go deeper? I'm like, yeah. What are you doing? They're like, well, you know, I'm doing a Bible study and I'm just studying this thing and I'm, I'm, I'm on this website and I'm just like, no, what are you doing? Like, what are you, how are you applying it? That's awesome. You know things. Great. What are you doing with what you know? What are you doing? Who are you discipling? Who's in your living room? Who are you walking alongside of? Who are you praying for? What are you doing with what you know? Uh, yeah, that's the deeper. The, the application of love is like, it, love is a verb, and God calls us to it, and that's the hardest thing to do. It is not, it's so simple, but it's so hard to put on. Loving God and loving people and then making disciples is the hardest thing in the world, but it is literally the most life-giving thing in the world for me to see somebody else's eternity changed by God just using me in that moment. And so this is what he calls us to do. And you need to hear from me say to you and everybody in our church that it's too heavy. Like, we can't carry it. What you see and experience in this season, even as we add a fourth service, is small potatoes in comparison to the impact that God wants to make in our region, in your family, in your workplace, in our lives. And God can use you in ways that he can't use me or other team members, the people around you. He just wants you to come alive in, in leveraging all that you have to help advance his cause in his kingdom. And so it's too heavy. Can't do it. We, we got to do it together. And, um, and that's the beauty of the church that Jesus dies for. It's the only way to follow Jesus is together. That's it. Let me pray for us. 
Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for today, God. Thank you for every beautiful person in this room. Thank you for all of the families represented. And really, thank you for the purpose represented in this room. You have, you've called them by name, God. You, you have a great uh, purpose and plan in front of them, every single one of us. But so often, we just we settle and we just go through the motions. And if we're not careful, it's years where we just... We're missing opportunities to really fully come alive in you for fear of other people around us or for fear of uh, for fear of failure or shame or whatever it is that's calling the shots. God, I pray you'd free people up in this moment by your word and by your spirit to help them fully come alive in you, surrender their lives to you, step up and to grab ownership of the thing that they know that they were created for. God, a passion to serve people with the gift of hospitality or a passion to serve people with the gift of teaching or a passion to serve people with the gift of helps or knowledge or the gift of prayer. God, for whatever the gifts are and whatever whatever parts of the body are represented in this room, God, all everything that's already here is all we need to take the next step in following you and reaching more people. And so help us to be faithful with what you've handed us. If you hear, if you're here and you're listening to me talk about joining and you're listening to me talk about getting plugged in and having ownership and growth track and all these things, but you're going, man, when you said, listen, when you said that I'm, I don't fear God, or when you said that I, I, you know, dishonest gain is me and not being trustworthy, that's just me, man. That's me. And, and I really don't, I don't need to be over anything because I just don't fear God, but I want to fear God. And today, listen, salvation is the moment that you finally realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. Everything necessary for your salvation was done 2,000 years ago in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And the moment you come alive in him is the moment you lift your head and realize who he is and what he's done for you. Christ came so that you and I could put on his righteousness. Christ came so that we could find freedom, we could find purpose, we could find fulfillment and joy in his finished work. Not our ability to keep the rules, but just in, a, in our ability and our willingness to just lay our lives down and go, you call the shots. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, fully surrendered your life, the Bible talks about the power of confession, confessing that we need him, confessing, saying it with our mouth that I believe that he is who he says he is. I want to give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you want to come alive in him today, if you right where you're sitting, if you just raise your hand right where you're at, I would love to lead you in a prayer. Prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saved you. But man, every week, give people an opportunity to come alive in Christ. I want to surrender my life to Jesus right where you're at. Just raise your hand today and just confess him as Lord. And if that's you right where you are, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I'm so grateful for what you've done in my place, and I surrender. I lay it down so that I can step into the assignment that you have for me. Because I know that you build your kingdom, and I know that it's this beautiful body of believers that I get to be a part of, and I have a part to play, and it's not small. And so help from, and instead of disqualifying myself, God, or instead of really feeling unqualified, or instead of excusing away my participation in your work and in the local church, help me to come alive in you. Help me to see how much value I add. Give me over to a great vision and a great purpose, bigger than myself, so that it requires you to move on my behalf and that it requires others to help come alongside of me. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.